This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute. And available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Talk Nerdy. It's Monday, May 29th, and I'm your host, Kara Santa Maria. I'm really excited about this week's episode because I get to chat with the host of This Week in Science, Dr. Kiki Sanford. I cannot believe it's taken me this long to have her on the show. It's a great, great chat, but before we dive into it, I want to thank those of you who made Talk Nerdy possible this week and each and every week, because remember, I'm a one-man band here. So Talk Nerdy is produced and edited and uploaded and booked and recorded and hosted by yours truly, but I do it with the support of my listeners. And I've pledged to you that I will always keep it 100% free to download, so I definitely depend on you guys for your support in the different forms it comes, one of which is rating and reviewing on iTunes, on Google Play, and all of the different um, podcast readers that you guys use. Another one is sharing sharing across social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, that really helps a lot. The more numbers we have, the better um, the ad sales are and the easier it is to get support through Patreon. Speaking of which, that is the number one way that you can support the show. If you visit patreon.com slash talk nerdy, or you just go to carasanamaria.com and click through the links, you can pledge your support on an episodic basis. Like... Let's let's see who supported the show this week through Patreon. That would be Jeffrey Sewell, Brian Holden, Gabriel Felipe Jaramillo Gonzalez, Jafe, the Honorable Husband, Stuart Ogue, Jeffrey Perez, Christian Jeffrey, Jonathan Wright, Timothy Glover, and Phil T. Bear. And of course, at other levels of support, we've got some pretty cool people like Annika Merkelbach. We've got Kenny Puka. I think that's right. We've got Krista Robbins, Ashley Scrogans, Eric App- Applebaum. Um, how about Ken Pfeiffer and Chris Parcell? That's just a sampling of those of you who are supporting the show. And of course, through the PayPal portal, which is another option if you just want to make a one-time supportive payment, I want to thank Rob Shrek. Guys, I couldn't do it without you. And you really do mean a lot to me and to the show. And gosh, everyone listening is thanking you too because you keep it going. All right. I'm excited to dive right in. I hope you guys are too. So without any further ado, here she is, Dr. Kiki Sanford. Well, Kiki, thank you so much for joining me today. It's really great to be here. Thanks for having me on. So do you prefer to be called Kiki or your real name is Kirsten, right? 
Yeah. So um, people who've known me forever call me Kirsten, Kirsten, but Kiki is really kind of how I introduce myself these days. I was always wondering the difference between a Kirsten and a Kirsten. Are you both? <laughs> Are you either? Because it's spelled the same, right? It's spelled the same. I was, uh, I was initially named Kirsten, but people just couldn't get it. And so they called me Kristen all the time. <laughs> yeah. And I found that if I introduced myself as Kirsten, they at least would call me Kirsten. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. (laughs) The whole problem has been solved since I started going by Kiki. It's just easy. Yeah, it's easy. (laughs) You know, my boyfriend has the same problem. His name's Gabriel, but everyone calls him Gabe, but he never introduces himself as Gabe because if he says, hi, I'm Gabe, Gabe, Gabe. then they always go, nice to meet you, Dave. No. (laughs) Yeah. No, not even close. Yeah, exactly, (laughs) exactly. And I only have the problem of people calling me Cara when they see how my name is spelled. Or sometimes Mm -hmm. it becomes Clara, which is extra annoying. I'm like, who is she? Oh, from the Nutcracker, you know. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) I just saw the Nutcracker this year. Pretty ballerina. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. So I have to say, I'm super excited to be connecting with you. You are one of these people in I, in my life. Funny. Um, you are in my <laughs> life because I, you know, follow. I've been following your work for years. You are. I feel like one of the most pioneering kind of female science communicators. And it's so funny because I have no idea why we don't like hang out. You even live on my coast, don't you? I'm a West Coaster. Yeah. I was in San Francisco until about two years ago, and now I'm in Portland, Oregon. So a little bit further north, but same coast. Still, do you love it? Oh, I love it. Yeah, but I'm not going to tell anybody that. Well, wait. (laughs) (laughs) Portland is beautiful. There are weird things about Portland, though, when I visit that I have to get used to. Like, well, it's not an issue anymore because I drive electric. But if I didn't, you're not allowed to pump your own gas, right? Oh, yeah. You get into Oregon and it's all of a sudden to stay in the car. They're just going to take your ATM card from you and you just sit there. It's so funny. And it feels super weird to us because it's been so long since that was the norm. But that used to be the norm all over the country. Absolutely. The funniest thing, though, is if you drive all the way, like, say, to Seattle, you start in California, pump in your own gas, get into Oregon, stay in the car, go to Washington, pump your own gas. (laughs) You're like, I don't even know what to do anymore. It is super, super weird. And of course, Portland has other quirks, but we all love the quirks. Like the carpet at the airport is an obsession for a lot of people for some reason. That I've never understood, but Mm -hmm. it's a thing. They make socks out of it and, you know. Dresses and T-shirts and mugs and, yeah. (laughs) Oh, the PDX airport carpet. Yeah. And it's really ugly. Like, I don't understand why people love it. It reminds me of, like, a skating rink in the 80s. That's what it looks like to me. I don't Probably know. where it came from. I have Probably. No <laughs> Something kind of nostalgic <laughs> about that. So um, was there a, a reason for the move? Was it a work thing or was it just more of a personal move? Oh, it was more of a personal life move. My mm. husband and I, um, you know, we've been living in San Francisco and things are just getting crazy there. You know, you have yeah. to you have to just if it's it seemed kind of like a hamster wheel. You know, you're just running and running and running and running you know, just to stay in the same place, you know, like the Red Queen from Alice in Wonderland, you know, you got to run faster and faster, but you're not actually making any progress. Yep. Um, Yeah. And then, you know, we have a a six-year-old son who is starting kindergarten this year and the schools are fantastic in Portland. There's a lot of great school districts and it just, there are a lot of life factors involved in it. 
And I love I'm, that. Yeah. And we've got a little city. It's not big. It's a little city. See, so we can have a little bit of cityness if we want it. There are lots of bridges. And then it, they're nice, quiet neighborhoods. And I don't know. And, and, and you nice. have seasons. And there are seasons, which yeah. I love. Yeah. Although I can't wait for spring to actually start. We went from like 50 degrees the other day mm-hmm. to over 80 in 24 yep. hours. And now it's back to 50 degrees again and raining. Yeah. Of course. So yeah, Portland. Good luck with that. We'll see. Rain. <laughs> it is, it is going to rain. <laughs> Got to get used to that. But you know what? San Francisco is also kind of rainy, foggy. Like sometimes the foggy. weather's pretty crap there too. Yeah, I lived there for years, and I, it's one of those things where you're like, what happened to summer? Will yeah. I ever see the sun again? You know, and you, you leave the Bay Area and drive east to, the, to find the sun, and then you have to drive back. And as you're driving <laughs> back across the bridge, Carl, the fog is coming over the hills to the west, and it's like the nothing. <laughs> <laughs> See, now you've got to come visit in L.A. and we can hang out with the Nerd Brigade and you can get some much needed vitamin D. I know. That's what I need. That would be fantastic. That would be so fun. So I want to talk about what you're up to. But first, I'd love to get a little bit into the past. We'll go to the past before we get to the present. So Mm -hmm. you're a scientist turned science communicator, which is my favorite. Um, It's what I did. And of course, I think when I did it, I was completely um, unaware that it was an actual career and that there were other people who had done it. So I was like, I'm a pioneer. It's like, no, no. And then I I slowly but surely (laughs) learned, you know, who who the important contacts were and who I could commiserate with and all of that. But you did it really early. Like you had a AAAS mass media fellowship when and like, I think I looked it up at like 2005. Was that, is that right? 2005. Was that your transitional time um, when, when you started with that fellowship? Yeah. So um, I actually started my, my podcast my b- online show um, as a radio show around 2000. So This Week in Science wow. started on the UC Davis campus radio station in 2000. And it was born out of a hot summer and my neighbors and I sitting around drinking Budweiser and talking about science all the time. And then we we're like, how come there's no science on the radio? Like the only science on the radio that we could find was Science Friday. You know, yeah. and this is and this is kind of, you know, early in the web days, you know. Yeah, this is ish. pre-podcasting. Like, yeah, pre-podcasting. Yeah. And so we were like, well, okay, why don't we approach the campus radio station and maybe they'll let us talk about science on the radio. And so we did. And they were like, yeah, great idea. Let's try it out. And so it kept it, it kept going. And the show is still being broadcast on KDVS, the UC Davis campus radio station. Um, although now we've, we've, we used technology as it developed to expand the reach of our show. So uh, it was around 2001 or so. We were like, let's build a website. And it was a really ugly old thing. And we've been <laughs> tape recording, cassette tape recording our show. I have <laughs> I have old cassette tapes of the show. It's pretty funny. Um, Amazing. Yeah, I've got it. That's like number one, number two. And now we're like <laughs> at episode. I just did ep- episode 617 last week. So and that's probably wow. not e- that's probably not even accurate because it's 617 of the podcasts. So anyway, going back, we were <laughs> recording cassette tape and then we're like, oh, wait, let's get there's this new technology, mini discs. And so we got a mini disc recorder and we started recording the shows as um, as MP3s to 
or as wave files actually to the mini disks. And because we had these digital files, we're like, oh my gosh, we can put them up on the website. So that's where we started, just sticking the files up on the website so that people could listen to them or download them. And then uh, I think my boyfriend at the time was like, hey, I heard about this thing called RSS feeds. And so yeah. we're like, hey, do you, can we do that? Let's build our own. And so we made our own RSS feed that we hosted off of our website. And uh, and we started and it was 10 people subscribing and then 100 people were subscribing to it. And then it was around 2005 that the iTunes directory, podcast mm-hmm. directory got started. And we submitted the podcast there in 2005. And it's been there ever since. Wow. So you really yeah. are probably one of the first science podcasts ever. I know that Skeptics yeah. Guide, which I recently joined, has been around now. I think we're hitting year 12. Granted, yeah. I w- I've only been with them for like two, maybe three years. I'm so bad at keeping track of time. <laughs> but and, and they were really one of the pioneers. But you predated them. I predated them. Yep. I've been wow. around longer. Um, wow. And obviously Science Friday, which has been around forever. Longer. Didn't really, they didn't join the podcast troupe, no. though, right away, did they? No, they didn't. Because they had such a broad reach on terrestrial radio. I mm-hmm. mean, it was for a while, it was like, why do we have to? And then they finally started realizing that people were really starting to listen to podcasts. Yeah. And it's just another revenue stream, honestly. Like, yeah. it's, you know, get get your message out every place you can. And um, if you're already reading advertisements and it's helpful, or you can do separate advertisements for the podcast listeners, which, you know, obviously that's how most of us pay for our podcast is either with advertising or Patreon or some mm-hmm. combination of, of that, of users and advertising reads. Um, so, but you're yeah. no longer working so- on that radio show, right? No, I am. So this you week still in are. this week okay. in science is still going. Like I it's said, we always uh, going. It's okay. always going. There was <laughs> another a- radio project <laughs> that you had worked on, no? Or maybe it's just that you've been finding new homes for this week in science yeah, periodically. That's what that that really is what has happened. So gotcha. we started this week in science, and it was I, I was doing it in parallel with my grad school, mm-hmm. um, and then uh, I did the AAAS Mass Media Fellowship, and that I was amazing because I got to actually work in uh, television news for that. And I got to go to WNBC in New York City and work in, you know, work in the NBC affiliate with their medical and science uh, reporter, Max Gomez on the five o'clock news. And I learned how to put together news stories and really how to, how to tightly package stories yeah, how to produce. How to produce. Yeah, yeah, that's what I learned how to do. And so I came back from that and I'd always been thinking, oh my gosh, I really do want to, I, I don't know if staying in science is where my heart is, but I wasn't really sure what to do. So I came back from that and was like, okay, this is what I want to do. And I actually wrote letters to all sorts of science journalists to find out, you know, find out what they had done and what their paths had been. And they were all so kind and wrote back to me. And um, it was just amazing to get such a wonderful response from these uh, these respected journalists. Mm-hmm. You go for it. If you want to do it, follow your dream, you know. Um, and, and so I was like, all right, I'm going to finish grad school because I want to have that experience, that credibility as a scientist when talking to other scientists and also when reporting on stories, that perspective of, all right, I know the grant writing process. I know the the reality of doing work in a lab and how much troubleshooting has to be done and, you know, getting a paper published and, you know, the whole process. And so 
It I makes like, them trust you more and be more yeah. open when you're actually doing a good inter. You know, when you're interviewing yeah. a scientist, if you've been yeah. there, done that, they're like, "Oh, you get it." Exactly. And so that's what I did. I, I came back from the fellowship and I finished up my studies and I busted my butt and I wrote my dissertation and I uh, and I finished, but with the goal of working in science communications. And so then I started working on some web video and I met this uh, and at the same time, I was still doing twists as a podcast um, and I moved to San Francisco, but I kept driving back to Davis to do the show at their radio yeah. station once a week. And through the video work that I did, I met this guy, Leo Laporte, who had uh, had worked on a, a cable show called Screensavers, and he had just started a podcast network called Twit, This Week in mm-hmm. Tech. And so I uh, met him and started talking, and at a certain point, he was like, why don't you bring Twists onto the Twit network? And so that's when we made the jump from just audio and radio to starting to do live video for our podcast. And have you stayed on Twit the entire time? No. So a couple of years. I didn't think so. That's where I was confused. (laughs) That's where I was confused. That's where it gets weird. And we lost a lot of people because we, we left Twit and I tried to tell people that we were going independent and Mm -hmm. we, where to find us and how to keep looking for us. But, um, yeah, they decided not to carry any third-party podcasts yeah. at a certain point. And so it was like, all right, well, uh, what am I going to do? And at that point in time, Google Hangouts was just starting up. And so we started beta testing the Google Hangouts to produce the podcast because I love the live aspect of it. I mean, yeah, that's just it's like, really nice. And the switcher, like it's a really yeah. smart piece of software. Oh, it's great. Yeah. And I just, it's just, there's something about it. I, you know, starting in radio with that live feeling of, you know, some, and anything could happen at any point in time, you know, I could put my foot in my mouth. Yeah. Yeah. And Um, it seems like you're always in front of the curve with like, oh, there's this new platform and this new way to integrate. Let's try it. Yeah. And I, I, I've been working at that a lot. I think we've gotten a little bit, um, we've, we've a little comp- complacent with Google Hangouts recently. It's just nice. It works, but, mm. um, and, and it publishes to YouTube and there's this awesome guy, um, named Brandon who, uh, simulcasts us to Facebook live and you know, it's just, there's wonderful things, but there are other places to go like Twitch TV. What's going on over there right now? And yeah, there's, that's true. there's yeah. Periscope and there's the, the live video from Instagram and, 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 and <laughs> <laughs> I know. And like, and even on Twitter, I guess you Periscope on Twitter. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, every, every platform has their own live and Facebook live has become huge, huge, it's huge, huge, massive. Yeah. And so it's, you know, taking the audio form. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Format, adding the video to it and I think it allows you, you know, to reach out to a different segment of the potential audience. 
Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I've struggled with video though on the podcast. I do a lot on TV and as you do too. Yeah. So you know you know the um kind of the format and the annoyances of like waking up early to do full hair and makeup and you know getting on the <laughs> set and blah 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 like I'm the kind of person who doesn't wear makeup except on days where I have to yeah yeah so, same here <laughs> yeah I'm like first of all I don't want to put on makeup second of all I don't want to like n- not be in my pajamas when I'm podcasting which right now because it's midday I'm actually in gym clothes I like went to it but I haven't showered which is gross um, I took a shower today <laughs> oh my <Yay>! god <laughs> and then the biggest thing for me is that I've noticed that when I do other people's video podcasts that published to YouTube, I find that we'll be sitting here talking about some really fascinating aspect of science and all the comments are about our boobs. And Mm. it's so frustrating for me that I've actually had, I've been really reticent to go to video. It's like there's something for me about having the podcast be audio only that like protects it from misogyny or something. Although I still get the emails about my vocal fry and my valley girl voice all the time. Like, oh my God. Fuck (laughs) you. Yeah, I talk like a girl. (laughs) Deal with it. Um, (laughs) A girl who lives in LA. I know. That's that, that, that am true. But have you, have you found that with the video aspect of your podcasting or is it something that you are able to just kind of shake off? Um, there definitely is more commentary about your looks with mm. the video, uh, for sure. But um, I, I, it's really interesting. We have an amazing community with This Week in Science. And so we do the we, when we do our live feed through Google Hangouts, um, and so it goes to YouTube Live, there's the audience that's watching on YouTube. And those people are usually a bit ruder and make yeah. more commentary. And Luckily, I've got like a couple of people who run interference and moderate for me and are like, you are banned. Banhammer, get out if you can't just keep to the topic. Right. Yeah. Um, But then we have our chat room at our website. So we also we take that YouTube feed and port it over to twist.org. And um, so at twist.org slash live, you can watch and join our chat room of the of the community. And the community is fantastic. And they they're funny. They're intelligent. I mean, and when people get out of line, they manage the whole thing themselves. And it's yeah. And so I've had a really amazing live video experience because of the community that has rallied around our show. And of course, you were there before YouTube, you know, like YouTube was, again, just another platform, whereas I started SciComm sort of after the YouTube boom. So entering into YouTube, I face like frustration and a little bit of resistance. Like, I don't want to start a YouTube channel. That sounds horrible. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, why would I want to do that? And why would I want to do that in 2017 when a lot of my friends are YouTubers? I have some very close friends that are science YouTubers who are wildly successful. Yeah. Um, But a lot of them started early. You know, it takes, it's, it's a whole other learning curve. And I'm like, yeah, no, no, no. I don't want to do it, but I do a lot of TV. That's really where I get paid. Um, But you get to do both. Like you, the podcast is baseline payment for me. I actually do make money doing the podcast. Not much, but enough um, to make Mm -hmm. it worth my time. And then, you know, when, when I file my taxes, it's like my most of my income from comes from TV. You have this empire basically <laughs> built around this week in science, which is amazing that you've that you've managed to um, grow and nurture. And I would assume at least personally profit from to some extent. But you also um, 
like supplement that with with your TV uh, appearances and things like that, right? Yeah, I feel like I am, you know, the multi-purpose tool of science communications at mm. this point. Um, so this week in science, it makes a little bit. Uh, it makes it a very small profit. It pays for itself. It pays me and my two co-hosts a small stipend every month. Yeah. Um, and so it's it it run it runs and it runs yeah, itself. Yeah, that's sort it's of not, how Skeptics Guide is. It's like yeah. it pays for itself, and and it, it it also does pay for us to go to a, a certain number of conferences every year, which can get expensive. Yes. So that's helpful too. Yeah, and right now, luckily, I mean, it's making enough money so that we are you know attending a couple of science festival events to be able to, you know, actually put on live shows at the yeah, various science awesome. festivals. So these, you know, this is part of what I'm like working toward trying to grow twist so that we can do more. It's like uh, all of a sudden I'm like, am I going to be like a traveling band? Like the traveling podcast, going places to podcast cool, in front of man. people. And also live mm. recordings have an energy that you can't capture so, otherwise. So much. Um, we just, we did uh, the sketch comedy fest, sketch fest in San Francisco this January. And it was awesome. There oh, was I love the, that. The, the room was packed. People were just were, were there. They didn't get up and leave. You know, they actually yeah. stayed. They clapped. They laughed. They booed. You know, there was there was real interaction between the people that were there and us doing the show. It was really fun. It really made it made it a, a special experience. Didn't um, I feel like one of my friends, Janet Varney, was one of the co kind of coordinators or founders or like or yeah. really early on with Sketchfest. She's been working on it every year. And mm-hmm. I, I, when I think of her, I think of fun. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like I can only imagine that something that was like partly her brainchild would be like amazing. Yeah. So much fun. Science fun. Put science and comedy together. And it's absolutely. It's yeah. fantastic. Um yeah. So anyway, Twist is, you know, it, it, it has been growing and it's, it's doing, it's doing fine. I'm still growing it. Luckily I've had a very supportive husband who through the tough times has been like, okay, keep doing it. You love it. Keep doing it. Um, but I also, I do freelance writing. I, uh, have started a, you know, boutique, i.e. it's me and people I contract with to do the work, uh, video production company to try and help. Yeah. Called Broader Impacts Productions and to try and help scientists tell their stories. Yeah, that's huge. And that's really important because a lot of times what I find is when I I book a TV show, obviously there's always a production company involved, even usually when it's in-house, there might still be a secondary production company involved. I shouldn't say always, Mm -hmm. but the vast majority of the time there is. And they aren't necessarily tailored towards SciComm, even if they Mm -hmm. have a good track record of SciComm. That's the best you can hope for is working with a production company that's made previous science content. But a lot of the time it's a production company who knows how to make TV, but that aspect of it, they almost just expect that whoever they hire to co-host or to host will bring the know-how. And you're like, yeah, yeah, Yeah. but maybe I want a different, a separate production fee for doing all this damn research. Right. You want me to host (laughs) and do your job for you? Exactly. So, so common. And it's, it is a little frustrating and how cool to have a production company, a one-stop shop where you know that if you, 
pitch a show and you get hired, you can pull it off. You can hire the right people, you know, all yeah. the right producers, all the right crew and make a show. And at its core, the the hope and the care and the understanding is about science communication. But of course, exactly. you can only be sex- successful as a science communicator as you have been if you understand that it has to be entertaining first. <laughs> it's all about grabbing the audience, shaking yep. them around a little bit. No, <laughs> it kind of is. And you've always been so great at that. So how are you able to square the circle that I notice in American media it seems to be like the holy grail which is how do I you know teach something or tell a story that's equal parts or even more so fascinating than sort of informative how do I how do I make sure that that sort of um, equation is always met yeah for myself I mean it comes from um, finding that for myself you know, if I can find that 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 little piece of information that, you know, triggers the story, you know, that, yeah. that I, from from which I can go, OK, this is the story arc. This is the story that needs to be told. Um, you know, and there is a lot of, you know, and so it's it, the part of it for me is choosing the right stories to talk about, choosing the right stories to tell. Um what was there? There was a podcast I did, uh, did recently just a freelance thing that was basically me writing a story and then, um, and, and reading it for the, for the Royal Society of Chemistry podcast and Royal, yeah, Royal Chemistry Society. But anyway, yeah. messing that, whatever. One um, or the other. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I picked, uh, I, I picked a molecule that I thought was just really interesting and had an interesting name and a, and an interesting, Interesting story, spermidine. Ooh. Right? And so the the name actually came from the fact that it was first isolated. This molecule was first isolated in sperm. It's found all over the body, various tissues, different levels, et cetera. But it was first isolated in sperm, and it was Ant- Anthony van Leeuwenhoek. The yep, yep. The cell guy, the cell guy, the Dutch, <laughs> the Dutch researcher who basically invented micro- microscopes. And he's like, oh, here's my sperm. I will put it under a microscope. <laughs> what is in there? Well, yeah, because who, who who has the technology available wouldn't want to do that, really. I put yeah. all sorts of bodily fluids under my microscope. Exactly. <laughs> Can't help it. Can't help it. <laughs> Got to look at it. What's in there? Yeah. So I think, you know, part of it is like, you know, finding the things that are intrinsically curiosity creating, you know, you want to answer a question you want. And so you dig deeper and then the story almost tells itself in the end. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's true. And it's not always easy. Some things, Mm -mm. like you said, are really intrinsically interesting. A lot of times I think it requires a human story. It's very yeah. hard for us to connect to esoteric things. Like if there aren't other people involved with emotions and personal, um, uh, I don't know, relationships, it's hard. Some things are just like, whoa, interesting. Even if there are no people like, whoa, look at that. It's crazy. Look how beautiful. Look how interesting. Um, you know, meme worthy visuals right. and things like that. But a lot of times when we talk about science, it can be complicated. And one way to be able to tell the story is to connect it to people. Exactly. Um, and sometimes I think that science television programming, is it, it's like, for some for whatever reason that's not understood (laughs) 
And that bums yeah. me out a little bit. Yeah. You're like, you can just grab somebody. What are personal experiences that people have had? What's a common human experience? What's an emotion that everybody, everybody feels? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Cause we can all relate to certain things. So if we can tap into what that thing is um, and sort of like force the empathy, <laughs> I think that it has <laughs> a, an amazing outcome. And I think honestly, all the best science writers historically have yeah. done that really well. When you think about the best of the best, you know, the Carl Sagan's and the Oliver Sacks's and, and even the more modern ones like Mary Roach, I think a lot I of people I was just going to say there. her name. Yeah. Yeah. She, <laughs> They She's tell great. really good personal human stories, but they also tell stories about curiosities and weird things and slightly taboo things because, of yeah. course, we all love that, too. <laughs> Who doesn't yeah. love a good story about a dead body or about poop? <laughs> I think every, everybody does love it. Even if they say they don't, they're lying. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I totally agree. It draws you in. It's like we're all still little kids at heart. Come on. And you know, kids love talking about poop. I know. I help s- it. Sometimes I'm like, <laughs> I am yeah. Beavis and Butthead. You know? <laughs> I do like, that every time on Skeptic's Guide. Anytime Steve or any of the other guys mention a story that was published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, Penis, I always uh-huh. laugh. <laughs> there was like penis. <laughs> Did you hear about the study this week? There was a study that came out talking about poop where uh, researchers looked at how long it took different species of animals to take a shit. And, and it's kind of the same, right? And do you want it seriously? Do you want to know what the name of the journal was where they oh, published please, this? Please tell me. Soft Matter. No, it wasn't. It There's was. a journal called Soft Matter. Yes. <laughs> Wait, so what other things are published in the is it all poop or is it like No, it's like a organs? physics it's a physics <laughs> journal. It's <laughs> so it's not actually so it's ma- yeah. it, it's physically matter that is soft in nature. Yeah. How things move and oh my gosh. It just but the the fact that they published this paper on pooping in a journal called Soft Matter. I can't die. It's so perfect. (laughs) So are those the kinds of so when you talk about this week in science, you know, you talk about what did happen this week on the show. Yeah. What kinds of stories are you attracted? I'd love to know your process, right? Because a lot of science communicators and just regular old people, people who are listening to this podcast right now, they're like I want to know what's going on so we all have our different systems we follow different news outlets I have a feed reader where I follow like all the news outlets and I I just skim through and find the headlines that really catch me and then you know read the articles to see if they're legitimate deep dives or whatever but like I think we also all have our own personal things that we find interesting I'm less interesting in space stories than I am Mm -hmm. in brain stories but sometimes space stories still grab me so what is your kind of process how do you pick your stories yeah. So as a as a neuroscientist by training, I am so interested in brain and behavior stories. I mean, I was a wildlife biologist in my undergraduate years and uh, moved into um, behavioral neuroscience as uh, a grad student looking at learning and memory in birds. And so animals, brains, I really want to talk about that stuff. But this is uh, I know that I'm doing a show that is supposed to touch on all sorts of topics. We're talking about this week in science. And so Mm -hmm. over the years, um, my process has become, okay, what's the story? Is there a brain story that I'm super interested in? Number one, if there is, then of course that's going on the list. But um, I want to touch on some of the big stories of the week. So if there's something like 
you know, recently science funding and policy is big in the United States. So yeah. I, I, I will bring a story related to either the EPA or uh, the congressional budget decisions or, um, you know, if there's climate change, we'll usually bring like some climate change stories, things that are really going to affect people. Um, yeah. And that are relevant to you, even if you don't, you know, typically listen to a science show. Exactly. That's at, at some level, this is going to be affecting you, whether or not it's, you know, just you knowing where your tax dollars are going or, oh my gosh, why is this, why is climate changing so much? Why is it so much hotter in Portland in the summer than it used to be, you know? Yeah. Or like, why don't I have clean water in my municipality? Like exactly. these are the things that the EPA protects. Exactly. Um, so th- I think those things from a public interest perspective are important to include. And so those are usually stories that I have kind of in the, the top of the show where, you know, like, OK, this is these are the big things. Pay attention. But then, you know, like Cassini is starting to do uh, the probe around Saturn is starting to do some really interesting maneuvers around Saturn, flying through uh, basically doing dives across mm. the rings, like dolphin dives. It's orbiting the planet and doing dolphin dives across the rings so that we can learn more about the surface of Saturn, so that we can learn more about the rings and the formation of the rings themselves. Uh, and a this lot is a kamikaze dive, let's be it's honest. Com- like it eventually, is. it's going to <laughs> die a fiery death. Yeah. So Cassini, that was a story that I brought in this week. And then uh, in the second half of the show, that's where I will usually bring in stories that are you know, that titillate a little bit more. So the, the poop story, you know, was in there. Um, I will uh, bring in stories. I had, you know, really interesting story about salamanders and a symbiosis that they have, uh, an endosymbiosis, which means that there's a, a fungal, oh no, an algae species that has mm-hmm. entered their cells that they, they live with. But what do they do for each other? How do they help each other? Why is the salamander letting the algae live in its cells? Why did the algae do it in the first place? You know. Yeah. So, you know, some interesting questions, weirdness about the world, things that are titillating, um, and then also kind of what's important. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. To know about how science is moving forward today. And those are kind of big things. And then if there's just something that I think is so interesting, I mean, it uncategorical, you know, just mm-hmm. this is this is what I'm interested in and there's room for it, then it'll go in. Yeah, because sometimes as science communicators, our finger is like absolutely on the pulse of what's trending in 
um, science news. So, you know, you'll look on Twitter and you'll notice that multiple outlets are reporting the exact same story. Some, for whatever reason, that's catching on and people are fascinated by it and they're clicking on it. And, you know, it might be like one of their hot stories that's trending. And then other times there are stories where I'm like, well, this is damn interesting, and I don't care if other people aren't catching on to it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you why this is so interesting because yeah. it's weird when really fascinating stuff doesn't get the same kind of traction. Exactly. But I think that we can help it get traction if it's something that you know we we feel like was kind of overlooked. Absolutely, and yeah, sometimes I hope that stories that I bring in that aren't getting traction elsewhere that my audience will really appreciate them, and maybe you know, those scientists will, uh, be, a, you know, we'll, we'll get a reaction from the public. We'll, you know, that somebody might want to talk with them about what they're doing. Absolutely. So you've mentioned that you also do, cause as a freelancer, right? Like, mm-hmm. or you're a, a business owner, you know, a self-employed individual, mm-hmm. um, you have to do a lot. I, I know this, like you have to do multiple <laughs> jobs and stitch all of the income. I together. just stay home and eat bonbons yeah, all right? day long. <laughs> and just, I just buff my nails. That's all yes, I do all that's day. That's all I do. And then I just get on the air and I talk about science. <laughs> And, you know, a lot of times those different jobs have different levels of, I don't know, different levels of effort that you have to put in, different time commitments that are involved with them, different levels of being able to wear pajamas to work, um, which mm-hmm. is, you know, a good measurement for me. Like television stuff, I find, is often some of the easiest work that I do. It does require a lot of prep, but a lot of it is just about being extemporaneous and being just yep. on. You know, you've got to yep. be alert. You've got to be well rested. But otherwise, it's kind of it is what it is while you're there and you you get through it yep. whereas if you get hired to write something it's like oh uh, for me the hardest most frustrating aspect of my work are you one of those people for um whom writing comes easy are you one of those people who really enjoys the process of writing or do you want to beat your head against the wall the same way i do i want to beat my head against the wall <laughs> yeah. i'm so glad i'm finding camaraderie <laughs> in so many people <laughs> Okay, so tell me what you're working on when it comes to writing and kind of a little bit about your process and, you know, why you do it and how you do it. Yeah, so um, right now I am in between writing projects, which is good. I'm working on a, a video production project. But um, cool. when I, when you know, there are different kinds of writing projects. So like I mentioned, the you know, the, the produced podcast where I write, you write a piece that is like eight or nine minutes in length and it has to sound like you could read it, right? Mm, you know, that you, you're yeah. speaking it. So it can't be stilted in any way. It has to be conversational writing. And so... Um, and I so, find that the easiest to write is writing yeah, like I talk. Exactly. To me, that's all... Writing scripts, I can do leaps and bounds easier than exactly. writing like a book chapter. Exactly, yeah. Um, for me, though, it's the, the going back and forth because I really want to make sure that I'm not making any mistakes, that I have the research accurate that Mm -hmm. everything that is going into what I'm writing is correct. So it's like, you know, hours and hours of background research before I fact checking, fact Mm -hmm. checking before I even start writing. Um, and then I'm the kind of person where I kind of have a working outline in my head and then I'll maybe, you know, maybe jot a few things down to kind of trigger me for the, the, the flow of what I'm writing. But really I just start writing. And I yeah. write and I write and I write and I edit as I go. I'm like, I'm, I'm an in-process writer. And so for me, it just, everything takes a long time. <laughs> 
am the exact same way. I will reread a sentence three times and mm-hmm. I'll be like, oh, I can't use that word twice in, in exactly. two sentences. So I'll, I'll, I need to find the right word right then. So I've always got a thesaurus tab open when I write and I've always got multiple research tabs mm-hmm. open and I'm sort of citing as I go. Yep. Um, yep, and then other people are like, no, 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 you just get it. You just barf it all out on the page and then you go back through and clean it up. And I'm like, I can't, I can't do, I don't know. Uh, it's, I don't know how to do that. It's <laughs> <laughs> like in, no. incapable of working that way. And I'm learning yeah. more and more that when people give you advice about how to write, it's kind of like, I get it, but that works for you. Because yeah. there is no one true way. And I've spoken with some incredibly successful, renowned writers who have the worst hyg- like writing hygiene you can think of. And then I've <laughs> spoken to other ones. Who, and it's like, you know what? Yeah. We need to stop saying this is the right way and that's the wrong way. We just mm-hmm. do it. If you get it done and you get the paycheck, you did it right. And yeah, if you and if you <laughs> write something that people respond to, you know, you get the paycheck for doing it, but that you're, you're writing something that people want to read. That's, That's also, true too. You know? Yeah. But I've also noticed with my friends who are full-time freelance science writers, meaning Mm -hmm. that 98% of their income comes from writing articles and magazines and, and, you know, things like that. Um, They'll put their heart and soul into a piece that's the most interesting thing they've ever written. And then it'll get like a lukewarm response. And then they'll like rattle off some garbage, like really late at night because they have a deadline and then it'll go viral. And they're like, what? (laughs) I do not understand. So I think that's a frustration for a lot of people there's almost never a point to point um correlation between how much you work on your baby and how <laughs> how well it does which it's can true. be frustrating yeah it, it can be frustrating i mean i think you know overall you have to look at the career as a whole <laughs> you know? that's a good way to look at it how? no i would agree i would agree <laughs> Yeah, I I used to play poker and um, I shouldn't say used to. I still play poker, but I used to play (laughs) poker much more seriously. Like it was a source of income for me. And the thing is, you will never be a good poker player and you will never actually be a serious poker player unless you keep records because we're really good at, as we all know, remembering the hits and not the misses. Yeah. Oh, I've done fine. I'm fine. And then I had that one really big win. It's like, yeah, but then you had 40 losses in a row and you just don't remember. You're not remembering those. Those things, which are really affecting your bank account. <laughs> yeah. And so when people see people who play poker professionally and they're like, wow, they must be really good. It's like, yeah, but they're also consistent. That's the important mm-hmm. thing. They know how to maximize their wins and minimize their losses, but they keep records because most people, a good poker player breaks even or makes a little bit of money. A really good, very strategic and smart poker player can actually support themselves as a poker player because in the long run, a lot of it evens itself out. Or you suck and you just lose a lot of money and then it's like maybe maybe you shouldn't be playing for for money. Yeah. You should just be playing for fun. Yeah. How about some peanuts there? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's a very skeptical way of looking at your career, right? Is to actually keep records. It's important. Yeah, it is. And you know, I think even for for science writers, you know, it's good to keep a keep a folder of the things that are that you've written. Keep a folder of the things that you really love, the things that you, uh, you know, that you're lukewarm about. You know, keep those mm-hmm. in a separate folder, maybe. But you know, watch them grow. And I, I like doing that. I mean, I've got my Google Drive, and I've got you know my folders of things I've written and things that I you know I, I yeah. put them there. And then going back to like the comments that you get from from people online about things, um, you know. Once upon a time, people used to send email comments as opposed to just 
these live things that go out into the ether. Um, you know, but I, I actually started, I was like, I'm going to put a happy, positive folder for all the nice comments. And I'm going to make a, a, a folder for the negative comments and keep them separate so that I can keep track. Because in, in that situation, our brains focus on the negative. Yeah, that's right? so true. You can have 50 emails of people saying, you've made my week. I love your work. I want to yep. support you. And then you get one person who's like, you're not very bright. And why didn't you mm. fact check this? And, you know, I don't like the sound of your voice. All the things <laughs> they have to say. And that's all you that's all you hear. It's like, oh, well, I'm horrible at my job. I'm terrible, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't, I don't, I'm not doing things very well. And it's like, well, you know, sure, if somebody's honestly critiquing you, you can take that to heart, but very often it's just trolling. And if you look at the positives versus the negatives, if you're doing your job right and you're doing it well, the positives are going to outweigh the negatives. Absolutely. And it's really hard to do, but being able to separate an ad hominem attack from just real kind of constructive yeah. criticism yeah. is an important skill, you know, because sometimes an ad hominem sounds like criticism. They actually think that they're giving you constructive criticism. And to be able to tell the difference, I find a lot of times when people have commentary about the quality of a person's voice, it mm. says a lot more about the person listening than the person speaking. It's a yeah. very kind of pernicious and systemic sexist thing in our culture. Oh, it absolutely is. I mean, there are... Uh, I would say the majority of comments, you know, about voice mm -hmm. are going to be negative if there's a woman speaking. Mm -hmm. Yep. And it's always the same kinds of terms. Vocal fry, lilting at the ends of sentences, saying sentences as if they're questions, talking like a valley girl. Like I get these comments, not regularly, but when I do get them, they're always similar. Mm -hmm. And I am. And the obnoxious thing is that we've seen this happen. Like, who was it? Ira Flatow. Didn't he mm -hmm. do a whole thing about how like he has the worst vocal fry ever, but he never gets never, comments about never vocal gets comments. fry. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah <laughs> People are just, people are just poking, poking at the ladies. Yeah. But, it, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, at ah. a certain point, you just have to know the difference. You have to be able to say when you, when you read the thing, like, oh, well, now I know where you're coming from and I know kind of the, the sort of person you are. Yeah. Um, and, you know, sorry, not sorry, but your commentary about the sound of my voice irking you has a lot more to do with your ability to accept um, diversity and your ability yeah. to warm up to people who are different than you than it has to do with my... Cause, and it'll always be, why do you sound more... Um, oh, I just got one recently. Why do you sound less natural and more forced on the skeptics guy than you do on talk nerdy? And I'm like, I don't. You think I do because you're comparing me to the other people that you're exactly. listening to. Yeah. But you're I like, talk this is me all the time. I know. I don't talk <laughs> differently on my two shows. Like I don't put on airs for a certain show. It's it's frustrating. But you know what? I had I noticed the same experience once when um not to name any names, but I was um, hanging out with somebody, let's put it that way, mm -hmm. and um, uh, Family Guy, the guy who is the Seth MacFarlane. I was hanging out with somebody, and Seth MacFarlane was doing a bit with them, and the bit was Brian, the dog on the show, 
reading something and the person was like wait why aren't you doing the brian voice and he was like the brian voice is my voice that's my natural speaking <laughs> voice i'm doing it right now and he's like no you're not no you're not and it's just because yeah. he wasn't looking at brian and the minute yeah. that he was like let me put up a picture of brian while i do it the minute he looked at the animated dog and then heard it he was like oh yeah now oh. you're doing the voice it's like no i was doing the voice the whole time yeah, it's just it's funny how our brains can have these crazy biases and can play the funniest tricks on us when we cross modalities and when we you know when we get outside of our comfort zone all of those things so we've got to remember that as skeptics too and science communicators that a lot of it is coming from their own experience and not from us and it helps so would you consider yourself a skeptic because you've done a lot with the skeptic community over the years i have but i've you know it's like the diving in fully Uh, into the skeptic community has been very difficult for me i can't Um, do it either there's like it's just a it's a tough I don't want to be part of, you know, I'll work in the community. Exactly. But like, that's not my community. No. I mean, and I will, you know, I will work to promote critical thinking. For I sure. work to try and, you know, promote that as an educational concept. And, you know, that there is a certain point where I'm, you know, people say I'm a skeptic, but they really are just, I don't know, they're angry and they're not yeah. nice. Yeah. <laughs> and they're not very nice to women. There's a big problem yeah. with that or to people who aren't white. Exactly. There's a there's a huge white male uh, predominance in mm-hmm. or at least perceived predominance in the skeptic community and it's unfortunate because there are a lot of women who would probably really love to be really diving into the community but they don't feel welcome. Yeah, and also I do think that there's a problem with um there's a small conference problem. Yeah. And kind of what I mean by that is that a lot of these smaller conferences will be held in a hotel and the rooms are just down the hall from all of the you know, convention rooms. Convention so, rooms, yeah. So you get hired or you get asked to come and give a talk. You give a talk and then you can't leave. You just walk down the hall <laughs> to your hotel room and you walk in. So everybody's aware of your hotel room is. And it sometimes doesn't, depending on the kinds of people that you're surrounded by, even it, it only takes one or two kind of weirdo creeps who don't understand personal space and who like are trying to talk to you and you're trying to get away and then they're following you to make you say like, okay, I don't feel safe. I and now to do that. Yeah, yeah, and now it and it sucks too because it's nothing I think that is um central to skepticism. It's no. just the problem of kind of only being able to afford to put on a conference in <laughs> Small one place. Conferences. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and I I I think also there's a uh, there is I think for me personally looking at the skeptics community, the attitude of we're right because we question things and everybody else is wrong. The very, uh, I don't know, Richard Dawkins-esque uh, way. Yeah, the holier of a, than thou. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this method of approaching people, it pushes people away. And if there's nothing else that research into science communications and, other, and, and psychology has shown is that when you challenge people's beliefs, when you tell them they're wrong, before you even start a conversation, that conversation is over. They just stop listening. They stop listening. And so if you want to change minds, if you want people to listen and discuss and learn how to be critical of information that they're encountering in their lives, you need to engage with people on that emotional level. Going back to telling the stories, 
engage with people where they are, find out about their experiences and why they think about things the way that they do to get them talking about stuff, to get, to find out where, what's going on. How can we, how can we meet in the middle? Yeah, guys, this is an evidence-based approach. That's the funny thing. This, like, yes, this, this is, is research supported. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but what ends up happening a lot of times is, you know, I'm a skeptic. I'm right. You're wrong. Let me tell you why you're wrong. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't want to listen to you anymore, so I'm going to walk away. Well, fuck you then, because um, you obviously can't be taught, which yeah. is like such a like white imperialist gross approach anyway. Like it just makes me feel like yucky thinking about it. Yeah. Um, and it's not effective. And so then you get these, it's like the funniest thing. Cause I feel like skeptics oftentimes are the biggest people railing against echo chambers yet. They like create their own. They echo create chamber. it. And I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Like I'm on one of the most popular skeptic podcasts. I go to skeptic conferences a lot and I do consider myself a skeptic in the sense that I yeah. am a critical thinker and blah, critical blah, blah, thinking. blah. Yeah. yeah. But um, I was on the board of directors for the Bay Area Skeptics. So, exactly. you know, it's not like I'm not involved and not trying. Exactly. We're involved. We are involved. But there are things that could be better. I also just think that, like, I don't entering into any sort of pre-existing structure um, where the, people have their own drama and they have a lot of history and there's all sorts of little things between them. Like, I just don't care about drama. <laughs> oh, so my God, I'm I like, hate it so much. Yeah. So I'm like, I don't what you know, sometimes like. You're like, okay, wait, are we friends with this person? Are we not friends with it? Like, I don't understand, guys. Like, I don't really care enough. It's just a business thing for, yeah. for me. I have my friends. I don't need to be friends with people that I only see once a year. I can be acquaintances yeah. with them, you know? Yeah. And, of course, the Skeptics Guide guys, I'm very close to because we and talk every great. week. And I hang yeah. out with them. And there are a, a plenty of people within the community that I do consider friends. And there mm-hmm. are other people who I just... No, and that's okay. And I don't need to be friends with With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Everyone. No, yeah, it's okay to just be like, all right, I know who you are. Yeah, and we're there friendly. We yeah, we're friendly. <laughs> but like when people when people are like, oh, I'm friends with so-and-so, I'm friends with so-and-so, I'm friends with... I'm like, no, you aren't. How do you have that much capacity? That would take so much effort to be <laughs> friends with like a million people. <laughs> it's super weird to me. Yeah. And, you know, maybe they feel like they're friends with people because they've gone to a conference and talked with them once and then they're friends on Facebook. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> you know, I can't even deal with Facebook either. <laughs> Facebook <laughs> is so blah. <laughs> I like keeping up my page. That's really fun. Um, and it's a great place where people can message me. I always respond to people, even sometimes if it takes a few weeks. But um, my page is really fun. But like personal Facebook, where it's like all my old acquaintances from high school like mm-hmm. I never log on to that <laughs> it's just it's just baby announcements and like weird political and religious peddling from Texas I can't deal with it <laughs> it's rough where did yeah. you grow up did you grow up I, in the Bay area I grew up in the central valley of northern California okay okay yeah. that's nice so you you're a coastal person but it is still a little different when you're in the va- uh, like central valley cities like there's some oh, more yeah. conservatism there Absolutely. No, it's so funny talking to my dad who still lives there. 
you know, every election cycle, you know, I'm, you know, living in San Francisco or Portland or, you know, these bastions (laughs) of liberal progressive thought. Right. And, uh, and, and so I'll talk with my dad about stuff and I'm like, I think we really have a chance on this and blah, blah, blah. And my dad's like, you are in a bubble. Yeah. Come back to come back to central California (laughs) and talk with people, talk with the farmers, the ranchers, and then tell me how, how, how confident you are. Exactly. And the truth is those people, the cool thing is they're all scientific thinkers, right? Farmers are scientists and ranchers are scientists. So when it comes to the straight political stuff, it's true. Sometimes we're like so stuck out here on the West Coast. But the great thing is when it comes to the science, there's always ways to reach reach across the aisle. The aisle oftentimes isn't even relevant in the conversation uh, when it comes to science, which I love. Absolutely. I totally agree. So and I, I think, I, yeah, oh, I just I, I just want to say, I think it I think it's important. There's all this talk about, oh, the Republican war on science. You know, Chris Mooney came out with that book years ago. And like mm-hmm. this idea that Republicans are against science, Democrats are pro-science. Let's just put that to bed. Can we just put it to bed? There yeah. are individuals who are out for more business interests. And so they're working in that direction. But when it comes to science and talking to people about it, you're talking at a personal level. Absolutely, absolutely. Because we've all seen examples where, you know, you'll, yes, maybe you see more climate denialism on the right, or you see, uh, but you also see more support of genetic modification on the right, you know, exactly. and you see like, like hysterical anti GMO rhetoric on the left. And, you know, we can, we can sit here and like, make a pro and cons list or like hash out well which one's more pernicious and which one it's like it doesn't matter it's there's not like a a political party that's more critical in their thinking that's that's apolitical it's just that there are certain political persuasions that maybe play nicer with certain scientific concepts than others but it happens on both sides of the aisle and any given um election when you look at the sciencedebate.org outcome, it is, like you said, very personal to the actual candidate. Mm -hmm. This last go around, Hillary Clinton scored way higher. Donald Trump did the worst. He almost scored a zero on the science (laughs) debate. It was terrible. But, um, but even Jill Stein, who is a green party candidate was like pretty anti-science. She did not do that well. And, um, who's the other guy, the, the libertarian I'm blanking on his name right now. He doesn't know where Aleppo is. What? Who? Yeah, yeah. the The Libertarian candidate this year. Um, I'm. Everybody's screaming the name while they're listening to this. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and uh, I've like I've put it Johnson, all behind Gary Johnson. Right now. Yeah, I know Gary Johnson. Johnson. There we he, go. Um, he did not do very well either. He did about as well as Jill Stein and then leaps and bounds above with Hillary Clinton. But there, that has nothing to do with whether they were Democrats or or Green or because Green is like mm-hmm. usually more progressive in a sense than the Democratic Party yeah. or Libertarian or whatever. It has to do with the people. And Hillary mm-hmm. Clinton is just better read and more pro-science, you know, but some people say, yeah, yeah but she's more pro-big business and blah, blah, blah. It's like, yeah, but that's an independent issue. Yeah. Um, but yep. we've had very scientific Republican politicians and very pro-science Republican presidents in the past. So Absolutely. Yeah, that's important to remember. We don't always do that. Reach across the aisle, people. Come on. Science. We can all work together. Do we it. Absolutely can. We we've done it. We have historical stretches of incredible bipartisan um, work towards specific goals. Like think about the space race that was so bipartisan. Yeah. Um, and yeah. 
we can do it again. God, why did I get into politics? I don't want to talk about <laughs> it politics. It just goes on and on right and on. Let's talk yeah. about some of the work that you've done in television. Like, what was your most recent gig? Do you have any coming up? Are you actively working on anything? I'd love to know where um, where your beautiful face and your brilliant uh-huh. mind have shown up recently. <laughs> Um, it hasn't shown up in a while, actually. I, um, have been very, I've been focused on my podcast and my, my own production company and kind of the sort of behind the scenes, the behind the scenes stuff. Yeah. I've been focused more on that, but, um, I do have a shoot coming up in, uh, in a couple of weeks for a discovery channel show. That'll be oh, coming out. So fun. Oh, yeah. cool. So you do have things, you have things in the works. And I of have course, things in the works, which is exciting. producing is always fun. I know sometimes you can't talk about it because you're putting together a sizzle that you haven't sold or <laughs> something's greenlit, <laughs> but it's not yet announced, which is always yeah. a pain. But um, it's cool that you're staying really active in that in that production arena, too, because, you know, it 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 matters. It has a real effect when kids see female scientists on TV, they think, oh my gosh, that's a real thing. I could do that. And when, when female scientists are behind the scenes in, in a production capacity, um, I think that opinions and perspectives are, um, are shown that we don't always get. It it affects the final product and probably in a very positive way. And, you know, recently there was an opinion piece. I I don't remember what outlet it came out on, but the, the author was like, why, why Bill Nye's out there with his new show on Netflix and he's not saying things, you know, he's, he's maybe pushing people away, you know, because of the way he was approaching the climate change uh, issue on his show. And people, people are looking at it. And this, this writer said, you know, Bill Nye, um, Neil deGrasse Tyson, these, these, we've Carl Sagan, Michio Kaku. Why are they always the big names? Why are they always men? And so like on Twitter, there was this, uh, you know, this pops up every once in a while. I've seen it several times over the years where someone gets a bug in their butt and then it, you know, it, it flourishes for a while, this idea of let's get more women on television and people talk oh, about it. Oh, it's so frustrating. And then nothing like, happens. Where are all the women? And you're like, we're here. We're it's right not, here. It's not that there aren't enough women, you guys. It's that at the very, very tippy tops of these networks, they're not booking us. Like, or we have the correspondent role. We're the roving reporter. Yeah. We're the sidekick. Whatever, you know, we're the talking head. Whatever it may be. It's not that we're not there. We're there. We're just not, like you said, at the tippy, tippy, tippy top. And it's not because we're not working hard at, at getting there. It's because there are gatekeeping mechanisms yeah. in place. And, and whether, that's what we have to focus on. Yeah. And whether or not it's the networks who are buying the programs, looking at, you know, what shows uh, get the most eyeballs or the production companies that are selling the programs to the networks. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was I was honestly told by someone at, at a point in time that, you know, I would not get a show. I would not get a show being the sole host of a show as a woman. And that um, if I were to get a show, it would be uh, as a co-host with a man. Yeah, I've had and friends said, who have told me people have point blank at, at like network executives have point blank yep. said that, oh, I can't sell a science show with a female host. Yep. Yep, absolutely. That's what I have been told many, many times. I've been like I like like you mentioned at the beginning of the show, I've been doing this mm-hmm. and in the system for a very long time. I have, you know, I, I, I get so tired of it and fed up. I go hide my head every once in a while. I'm like, I'm just yeah. going to do my podcast. You guys leave me alone. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I've, I've seen it over and over again. Just 
not getting hired, passed up for a man. This is, you yeah. know, over and over and over again. And I'm like, okay. Um, I, but I, I am going to say it is changing. There are mm-hmm. more women who are like, like yourself who are working on this stuff now. Um, you know, and there's the outrageous acts of science, the science channel program that was, uh, started by, started by a woman. It, yeah. uh, there are many female hosts on the show. It's a, uh, yeah, pl- males and that have been on the podcast. Female. Yes. Uh, K- Karen Bondar, for Karen example, Bondar. And it's, yeah. it's going into its seventh season. You know, so it's not that it, these shows thought of and produced and uh, hosted by women can't make it. It's just that they really haven't been given the opportunity. They haven't. And, you know, and, and I also don't want to paint all networks with a broad brush. It is not uncommon for me to walk into a network meeting where it, it's still pretty common that the person in supercharge is a man, but where a vast amount of the people in the room are women. Are and women. they're like yeah. huge champions. And like, you know, yep. I think that the idea is we want you, we love it, we want to have a female host, we want to have a strong female host, we want to start changing things around and flipping the script. There is more of a movement towards that. But totally. And things take time. time. Things take time. And <laughs> a lot of times the people at the helm it in the 11th hour are a little bit afraid to rock the boat too much. And so they say, well, what has worked historically? And unfortunately, the reason that it's a white man, maybe with a British accent, you know, or like somebody who they think is the, a pillar of authority um, has worked historically is because it's the only thing that's ever happened historically. There's nothing to compare it to. So it's sort of an unscientific view of learning from the past. But we tend, like, just habitual behavior begets habitual behavior. And so we've yeah. got to break things through and say you know what screw it we're going to do something daring maybe it works maybe it doesn't but let's take the risk and tv is a very risk averse business because we're talking multi-millions of dollars exactly produce these things so it's an uphill battle but you know you i think have been a pioneer in it and i like that you continue to push 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 and i i have so many female colleagues in in uh, science television and science communication who inspire me every day and i every root day. for them yeah because a win for any of us is a win for all of us yep i and, totally uh, agree yeah. And so I'm I'm always excited when I get a chance to chat with somebody who like really inspires me, who I really look up to and who I'm super proud of the work that you do. So I have to thank you for that. And I also oh, don't want to take up too much more of your time. <laughs> um, so before we go, I always ask everybody the same two questions to close out the show. You OK if I ask you to go. All right. So big picture. Here we go. When you think about the future in whatever context is important to you right now, it could be your personal life. It could be the life of your community or like really big picture, like humanity as a whole. (laughs) Um, number one, what is the thing that keeps you up the most at night that worries you the most that you, you know, um, you're kind of pessimistic and concerned about, but then on the flip side of that, um, what are you really hopeful and optimistic and excited about when you think about the future? Aha. So um, I have anxiety, so a lot of things keep me up at night. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but generally, I think uh, the things that, that do keep me up at night are, uh, you know, wondering about the future of humanity. I, I, I look at things like artificial intelligence and think about aspects of the future with artificial intelligence, you know, like super intelligent artificial beings you know are they going to it, are we going to turn computers into uh into these these 
intelligences that can rule humanity at some point in time. And I, I wonder about what's going to happen with, you know, the, the future of jobs, you know, what's going to happen to truck drivers when, when all trucks are automated vehicles, what's going to happen to, um, to, to basic, yeah, where are people going to work? What are people going to do? What I, I wonder these things because I think about the future that my son is going to be growing up and inhabiting. You know, how fast is technology yeah. going to move forward? And at what point? Because people are pretty sure we're going to get one of these super intelligent artificial intelligences. Um, you know, at what point is that going to happen? Is it going to be 2040? Is it going to be 2065? Is it going to be later? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, so I, you know, these things make me curious and they I think a lot about them probably a little bit too much. But, you know. I'm but not hey, gonna, but hey, that's what I do. If, yeah, if we do, and if we if nobody's <laughs> thinking about them, that is not good, you know. <laughs> well, cool. Yeah. Okay, then, so yeah, I could see that it's a real, it's a as they call it, an eschatological threat in in many mm-hmm. ways. So it is an important thing to think about. But of course, yeah. there's so much to be excited about. What is the thing that kind of tops that list for you? Absolutely, and to be excited, I am absolutely excited about uh, the potential. Of humanity. I mean, the fact that we do so much currently, and I look at my son and the kids that he's growing up with, and how smart they are, how just on it. I mean, six-year-olds asking these really bright questions, really insightful little beings, and they're looking at the world, and they, I mean, I think the future is bright because there are so many bright lights coming into it right now. Love that. That's so exciting. Do you are you public with it? Do I get to know your little boy's name? His name is Kai. Kai, what a cool name. How do you spell it? K-A-I? Yep. Oh, that's beautiful. Thanks. Oh, I love that. I love that. Oh, that's great. I don't think I know anyone <laughs> named Kai, but it is. An, I, mm, I have a friend who had a cat named Kai, <laughs> <laughs> but it's a common name like in Hawaii, right? Yeah. And uh, in Japan, it's in Japan. It's, yeah, and, yeah. and it's actually it has uh, it has roots and languages around the world. Um, very often the name is related to water um, in mm-hmm. um, in Japanese. It means ocean. Um, but Got it. Oh, that's that's just lovely. Oh, beautiful. Well, yeah, I could see having a kid changes perspectives on things. I can't speak to it personally. It does. (laughs) It's like all of a sudden it was all about I mean, it used to be just about me. What what, what am I going to do? And now I'm like, (gasps) the future. That's true. The future just grew. The future just doubled for you. Yeah. Um, But also, oh, my gosh. So exciting. Yeah, absolutely. Very exciting. So there are lots of brilliant, bright things to be hopeful for. And, you know, even though there are these dark thoughts that might cross my mind or one's mind, there's so much that's positive. And that's what we need to be thoughtful about. So true. And such wonderful, I think, words of wisdom to close the show on. Kiki, this was so much fun. Can you let everybody know, you know, how they can find you online and, you know, message you on on Twitter or wherever you tend to lurk? Absolutely. So I am Dr. Kiki, D-R-K-I-K-I on Twitter and also on Facebook. And um, I think I'm the Dr. Kiki on Instagram. 
I I don't know. I just post things to it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'd um, be easy enough to find, I think. Yeah, you can find me if you look for Dr. Kiki online. Um, and then This Week in Science is hosted at twist.org, which I'm currently trying to get rid of some spam. Oh, websites. Uh, yeah, oh, but anyway. Websites. Twist, T-W-I-S. That's the Twist Science if you want to follow T-W-I-S-C-I-E-N-C-E if you want to follow Twists on Twitter. Yeah, guys, well, mm. if you're not listening, why not? You obviously like science podcasts, so you yeah. should subscribe and you should start listening today. Well, Kiki, thank yeah. you so much for joining me this week. It's been really fun talking to you. I'm really glad that we have finally gotten a chance to talk to each other. This is great. Seriously. And hey, mm. everyone listening, thank you so much for coming back week after week. I'm really looking forward to the next time we all get together to talk to you. Later.